0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sim Sundays podcast sponsored by Assetek. This week we have an incredible guest. We have Steve Alvarez Brown, also known as Super GT. Many of you, if not all of you, will have heard of Super GT. He is a carter turned YouTuber and now aspiring race car driver. And we started a conversation talking about the Gran Turismo film. And it was fascinating how many... Exact like for like comparisons there were with Jan Mardenborough, the main character uh, in uh, Gran Turismo, uh, with Steve, and it was really fascinating to kind of like unpack that and and talk about his journey from uh, Carter at the age of eleven all the way uh, to now uh, with his over eight hundred thousand followers on on YouTube and uh, what looks to be an undoubtedly successful. Uh, racing and content creating uh, career. Steve, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we went well over what was planned, but I think we were both enjoying this conversation. So, thank you very much. I found the conversation uh, really, really um, enjoyable. Uh, remember, if you race Gran Turismo and you want to race within a league so that you don't get crashed out, turn one of Monza as per, head over to GridFinder and find yourself a Gran Turismo league um, and get involved. Steve, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
1: Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I am doing very well, thank you. How are you?
0: I am good. I'm sorry to hear that you're feeling a little under the weather, but it's kind of for a good reason. You've just been to the premiere of the Gran Turismo film, which is pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, so this weekend, just gone, I was at uh, Amsterdam for the Gran Turismo World Series, the eSports Series of Gran Turismo, um, including the red carpet premiere. Of the Gran Turismo film, my first ever red carpet screening, which was pretty cool. Um, what was it
0: like? What was it like? Because obviously, most most people, ninety nine point nine nine percent of people, would have seen a lot of pictures from that kind of event. What was it like being there as a as a sim racer? Yeah, it's all a bit of a rush, to be
1: honest. Um, but it was really cool to have a film, effectively about sim racing mm. and real racing. Um, you know, having the whole world sort of have the attention on our little corner of of uh, of our hobby uh called sim racing you now having everyone sort of have their attention on that's pretty cool um it's a bit of a rush when you get there to the red red carpet premiere so uh, as we just pull up um nick devries turned up out of out that's of the blue. cool um jan martin was there as of course of course and all the uh former winners of the gt academy had a good talk with them just before so it was a really good cool event um, not only that, of course, the esports event as well. So watching mm. the best players in the world compete on Gran Turismo, Casanori's there. It's just a really, co- really cool event. To be honest, really happy to be part of it.
0: Yeah, it must have felt kind of almost like cathartic for you because uh, uh, you'll have heard from um, this podcast that we like to kind of go through the the story, the life story of people that we have on um, on the show, um, and 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 typically it's about how once you were a fan of racing games and now you found your niche within it to be able to make it your livelihood now yesterday uh me and the whole Gridfinder team went out for uh, nickel our cto's birthday and we watched the gran turismo film um and when i was thinking about doing this podcast today th- there's a lot of comparisons you must have been watching it thinking i kind of did that honestly there were so many similarities
1: obviously it's a film about jan mardenborough and his story but when I watched it for the first time, I was uh, in London with a couple of friends and my girlfriend. And throughout the film, she was saying, you've done that. That's you. <laughs> like, you've done that as well. Uh, so the story of playing Gran Turismo um, in the beginning and now this year and a bit last year as well, now being like a contractor racing driver in real life, um, kind of follows in very similar footsteps to Yan and what goes on in the film. So it was very um close to home for me watching the film and seeing so many similar things you know unpacking mm. your fanatech wheel trying to yeah. set lap times on the sim and then finally that turning into the the passion of racing for real for a team mm.
0: yeah and there there were some really little interesting scenes which i think with any any sim racer casual or, or pro Will really, really resonate, and one that that stuck out in my mind, which is really odd when I look back, and it's so much, so much happened in that film, right? But one point that did stick out for me was the point where Jan's dad comes in and says, "Oh, you should go outside and play football." Like, why aren't you doing that? He's like, oh, "I don't like football. I just want to, I want to race." And he says, "Are oh, you just wasting your time on these games?" And for me, like. I didn't really have my my parents didn't mind me playing games, but I remember teachers at school always being like, "Well, you're not going to make any money playing games. Like, you can't you can't make a living playing games." Actually, it turns out they were incredibly wrong, and that little scene there kind of stuck out, and it made me think of of you obviously because we had this uh, booked in for today, but then also all the other esports drivers um, that we've spoken to, um, and and even like you know Matt Sten from Track Racer who's got a successful Simrig business. I wonder how many times. They had to have the bravery to ignore the naysayers to get where they are now. And I wonder how many times they had to hurt to hear something like, it's just a game. Why are you wasting your time on a game? I think it's something that a lot of us would have heard
1: over the years. For me, uh, I would have heard it for two things. One, gaming or esports, there's no money in it. You can't can't get a career from that. The second was like YouTube, like uh, you're not you're not really gonna get anything from that. You know, I started in 2011 uh, doing YouTube, so quite a long time ago, really before the whole concept of a YouTuber was a thing. Um, but yeah, there was definitely um, there's definitely been for me at least um, a lot of um, negativity. You could say people saying no, that's that's not possible. You can't really do that. But now I think sim racing is it is in a good place. Lots of people earning money from it within esports teams um being team managers um working for organizations that revolve around sim racing and esports and of course youtube there's there's lots of full-time youtubers now who are focused on mm. sim racing um and that's increasing every year so i i think we're in a good space and it's only getting bigger and better at the moment
0: yeah yeah i i and I look back at the, you know, the guests that we've had on this podcast and it's essentially like it's just a series of Jan Mardenborough stories. Maybe not to that extent. Maybe not, you know, not, not, not everyone has had the, the full Jan Mardenborough experience. But in their own way, in their own lane, whether it be, you know, uh, Jeff McConey, who now makes iRacing, who made iRacing setups, who now makes setups for like real world NASCAR teams to, you know, Dave Cam, who had a different one where he played uh games like as a as a you know as uh I don't know what I, was gonna, I was gonna say as an older person now but I don't know if he still listens but I think he'd be a bit upset if, if I said that but then he's he's kind of like made it his like retirement thing post police and then to yourself there's so many stories but there, and there's so many roots as well within um within sim racing and that was one thing that I think didn't come across in the film was the 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 breadth of opportunity within sim racing so you know another person that that we've had on the show that springs to mind is george morgan how you know he did psgl and wr commentary for years from his bedroom and now is out at the tracks at at sro and and doing the you know formula four commentary there's so many routes to it and you know you're so you know you 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 do drive but you're also a content creator right
1: yeah that's what i would say my main thing is of um obviously racing for real would be A real aspiration i'd love to be able to do that full-time but yeah there are so many routes into careers revolving around sim racing like commentary like you say that's that's quite a good one there's quite a few of those guys doing that now and um i think it's just a case of if you're passionate about it and there is an audience out there um that's that's just the way that you sort of display your cv you don't need Mm. to like you don't need to sort of have an actual cv on microsoft word you just go out there, you commentate on an event, um, PSGL or whatever league it is. Mm. Um, if if you are going down the commentary route, for example, um, but in terms of YouTube, just put the videos out there. That is your CV. Just make the be- just make the videos better and better and better over time. And um, you know, if you do a good enough job, there is people out there that want to watch it. And um, yeah, you can forge your your living within this mm. space.
0: It's like the most entertaining CV ever. It's an it's a CV that you can actually like watch and enjoy. And, and in sim racing, you have infinite, infinite opportunities to build a show reel and have quite a lot of fun doing it. There's, there's, a, there's thousands and thousands of leagues out there that would bite your arm off if you're like, can I just do some commentary? I sort of practice, get my shot like there's so many out there that would that would love um that would love them to do it. So let's um, I, I, what I'd love to do in this podcast is essentially kind of create an audio version of the the Grand Turism and go through your your story um bit by bit but since we're talking about the film right now were there any bits of the film that you felt missed the mark or didn't resonate with you
1: um i mean there are going to be some spoilers here i suppose um what one of the things with the racing scenes which for me were a bit hit and miss i felt like they did look very dynamic the ones that recorded for real looked pretty Mm. good and they, they they did look pretty racy um but then you had the CGI at the same time, which didn't look quite right to me. Um, Hungara Ring was used
0: yeah. a lot. <laughs> and um, <laughs> That was a proper actually moment when in the cinema, we had all the good part of team there. And when it happened, we were leaning, across, that's Hungara Ring. We're like, oh God, we're, we're, that, we're those people.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, I suppose they had to make the film cater to all of us guys who know everything about sim racing and all the tracks. We know all the tracks. We know that's Hungara Ring instantly and it's not the mm-hmm. mom. But then they have to make it One that, you know, the ordinary viewer who doesn't really know much about racing can watch the film and enjoy it. And I think they cater enough to both. It would have been nice, obviously, to have the real Le Mans, the real Silverstone, and not Hungaroring for everything. But, um, yeah, the racing scenes were a bit hit and miss for me. Um, In terms of the the general story, I think it did a good job of Mm. just portraying a kid who, who has a passion, a clear passion for something. He has to fight lots of adversity. To achieve it from his parents from people at the track in the his some of his mechanics didn't really go on with him other people within the paddock other drivers who don't want to get beaten by the gamer kid mm. um so i think in that sense it was just a good story of someone who had a passion and just had to fight for their dream
0: yeah and specifically to do with the point you just made about reception in the paddock obviously you're a sim racer who has now spent time in the paddock did you ever experience something similar when you were doing racing and something slipped out like you know some kind of um opinion that you might have about a setup or a line or or whatever it was and, and you have you ever been shot down in the same way sometimes yes um a lot of it
1: yeah i mean comments within the paddock things like um let's say i come back into the pit lane after a long stint and i'm quite exhausted you know, people can have an offhand remark about, mm. yeah, in the sim, it's not very tiring. Um, but it's, it's a weird, um, for me, it's always been a weird thing that, uh, the way that an identity is attached to you. You are a sim racer, mm-hmm. therefore, you you know nothing about real life. But it's funny because I've been racing karts since I was 10. I've been racing like my whole life. I mean, I'm f- fairly decent shape. Um, so to have that sort of label attached to you that you're just an overweight gamer that can't do anything for Mm. real it's it's, it's a bit short-sighted um perhaps it's just like a very poor attempt at humor they don't really know what to say they just say something that comes to mind um but yeah it does happen unfortunately yeah and um sometimes the motorsport community can be a bit um uh i don't know what the right word is tribal Um, yeah they don't like something different Mm. it has to be like it can be can be a bit political um, at times, unfortunately. Um, but for me, you know, I just try to avoid that. Just try to ignore it. I can just try and do better than I was doing yesterday. And um, over time, we'll see where my career goes. Who knows? But there is always going to be some doubters out there somewhere.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting hearing you say. I wonder where my career will go. I say you're you're already you've already established an enormous amount, an amount that a lot of people would probably strive to achieve as as an end goal. And it's, it's, you know, it's obviously, it's that attitude that, that has made you achieve so much so far. Okay, so let's do our own Grand Turismo film. Let's start from the beginning. For those who don't know the story um, of Super GT and Steve Alvarez Brown, take us back to the beginning, the first point in your life where you suddenly thought, hmm, racing.
1: You know, the first memory I have would be my mum buying a PS1. And on that very first day when we got home, I was playing V-Rally and Ridge Racer Revolution. We bought like five games, but I didn't care about the other three. I just wanted to play the racing games. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very competitive. I used to always try and race against my mom. She was actually really good on these racing games and uh, my brother as well. Um, So since then, I was always having an interest in in racing in cars. Used to watch Formula One as well back in the late 90s. Um, the likes of in the in the McLaren Mercedes, that was someone I always um, looked up to and respected. Um, so yeah, for me, the racing journey started sort of late 90s in both gaming and in um, real life supporting uh, Formula One drivers. Um, and then in 2001, so on my 11th birthday, my dad bought me my first uh, kart so that's where the sort of the real life racing for Mm. me began so at that point i'm kind of doing gaming i'm doing real life racing and i'm watching formula one drivers as well so a nice mix of three things
0: that's really interesting have you ever spoken to him about why why did he buy a car because that's a big step right to invest in in a car had you done like a arrive and drive before that point or was it just like here's a here's a, almost like a gift a toy let's see how you enjoy it like was there ever an ambition you know was there any other kind of thoughts behind it
1: it was kind of agreed upon that we'd get that cart um we live or used to live very close to butmore park cart circuit Not and if you drive past on the m2 motorway you can mm. you can look over and see it and i used to always look over and see see these carts going around and i thought like, i really just want to do that I, I love the racing i'm watching formula one and i'm doing racing on video games at that point so I'm seeing this track. I'm like, wow! I just want to have a go on that. So we did have a go in a one of their arrive and drive carts uh, for like half an hour, and then it was pretty much agreed upon that we'd get my cart a couple of months later on my eleventh birthday.
0: That's a yeah. That's beautiful. Buckmore Park was my first track. I grew up in Maidstone, so it was naturally my first the first track I ever did. And I remember being terrified going downhill on the back straight that first time being like, I didn't think it would be this fast, but it's a beautiful track to learn on. It's a really
1: good track. Yeah. It's um, fast, but um has a good range of corners. It's it's always been one of my favorite tracks. Bummel Park and Bolton Mill, one of my mm. two favorites, like fast and flowing circuits with um, a lot of challenge. So it's a good track to, to learn on, to begin on. Um, and... I kind of raced owner-driver karts for about five or six years from 2002 to 2006 mm. um, at the local kart track. So I learned quite a lot then um, racing against the likes of Jolion Palmer, who now obviously yeah, was in F1. Yeah, um, so there was that's... quite a lot of very good competition in that local area. Um, did learn a lot. Didn't quite have the budget to compete with those kind of guys, but um, just by being on the track with them, I think you learn a lot.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting, and and like and how you know how competitive was it from from the outset when you I don't know how how clearly you can remember this phase, but when you first got in, were you like, okay, this is this is it, I'm here to win, or you know, did you have this kind of boyhood just enjoyment of the adrenaline and the experience? I'm always keen to understand how truly intrinsic competitiveness is with a person. I was
1: always quite nervous at the beginning, like right at the start. It was a very intimidating place to be a karting mm. paddock where you've got all these big race teams and they're all like in the morning they're all revving their engines really loud trying to get them to to run nicely and you've got all these expensive motorhomes and you know mm. you're just this 11 year old boy looking at all of this all this money and it's hard to sort of kind of just assimilate into that quickly so I was actually a little bit nervous at, certainly at the beginning uh, but I've always been a competitive person always wanting to do the best and always wanting to win and always wanting to be better than I was yesterday or beat my lap time from last month or whatever it is. So I've always been competitive, always wanted to win, always wanting to race. Um, like when, let's say, as an example, like when my cousins would all come over, I'd always try and get us to just do some running race or mm. something. It <laughs> always involves a race. Yeah. And I was always yeah, yeah. trying to push that idea.
0: Nice. Yeah. There has to be like some, some way of whatever activity we're doing. I want to win. I want to win that activity. Yeah. Um, okay. So when you were doing the, uh, the high, higher, um, so the owner, uh, kart racing, h- how aware were you of how unique it was relative to perhaps what your friends at school were doing? Cause it's not usual. It's not, you know, it's gotta be less than 1% of people who even consider it and, I, and at this point I'm not really talking about the the fact that it's expensive I just mean it's not an ordinary sport for a young person to 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 get super into I I don't think maybe it's a bit more so now but when I was growing up I knew one person at school who had any interest in in racing at all so were you aware that you're doing something different
1: definitely um at school no one else did it so it was quite tricky to have a conversation about it Mm. Um, I really had to explain it in very basic terms to my friends, for example, who just didn't really get it at all. Um, but yeah, karting certainly a very different kind of hobby, um, compared to lots of other like football, tennis, golf, rugby, the more sort of common and usual sports. I suppose one example would be at my school. Um, I did PE for GCSE and we had to choose four sports and I wanted to do karting because it's like one of the few that I'm like pretty good at and they wouldn't allow it. Mm. so it's kind of it kind of told me that oh maybe this isn't a very normal sport they don't really consider it to be a thing they're just like oh you kind of just sit down and all the Mm. carts it's just who's got the best cart and and that's something that i've always kind of come up against especially at university as well where you're trying to get funding for your um trying to get funding for karting within within the university and they kind of don't treat it as a sport Uh, so you're always coming up against that with kart racing and motorsport that a lot of people don't understand it that it isn't they don't consider it to be a sport
0: mm. it is kind of unique isn't it it's almost the same argument as horse racing where it's like okay the horse is doing most of the work and it's almost a direct comparison when you think of horse power in a car you know that's doing a lot of the the work but obviously the jockey or the, the rider has a bit of not a bit an, an incredible amount of skill in order to get the most the most out of it but having done a few enduro car races in the 4KA getting almost up to 90 miles an hour at points i can tell you going around those corners it's a it's a a physical job after a couple of hours it's very
1: tiring it is very tiring um i think the thing about it is that when you just look at a driver in a car you can't see the forces that are acting upon them so it just looks like it's nothing but yeah you do these endurance races it's tiring it's the Mm. heat the uncomfortable nature of the cart or the car and then the fact that you're tired, you're doing maybe in a, in a 24 hour, perhaps uh, you got to go out for multiple stints, you've got to have a lot of concentration. Um, it is very, it's very tiring. It's very, very mm. tiring indeed.
0: It's a, it's a, it's a strange kind of endurance, isn't it? Because it's, it's not necessarily, not necessarily cardiovascular CV. It's not like it's not running and it's not weightlifting either. It's, it's almost a, a combination of continual tension and mental alertness having to be kept at a constant 100% for for long periods of time. I, I did the, talking of Wilton Mill, I did the WTF1 uh, race, sorry, not the WTF1, the motor mouth race um, at Wilton Mill uh, with uh, Tomo F1. And I think my stint was like 40 minutes. So I came out completely like drenched, but also like emotionally, maybe not emotionally, but like mentally, mentally drained, right? Especially if you're racing, As part of a team or you're racing as an individual but you know how much responsibility you have within the rest of the 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 team by that i mean the the engineers or or whoever your sponsors are
1: there's a lot to think about in karting you're constantly concentrating um once you're out there and you know you've got your barometer the guy in front is two seconds in front to lose a tenth is just like the most awful thing ever so you have to like be on it every corner Mm. you can't like you can't just ah, uh, this lap, I'll take a bit easy. You know, you have to be on it every corner of every lap for an hour, for two hours. And then, in an, you know, later that day, another stint, for example. So, yeah, it's it's a lot more mentally tiring and physically tiring than it at first seems. Mm. Um, so we did that WTF1 event. Uh, Jimmy and I did one with WTF1 at um, Buckmore24, like, a couple of years ago. And we ended up doing about... I ended up doing seven hours for the last, like, nine of that race um so that that was <laughs> i did like a two and a half hour then went back in mm. and then went back out again for another two and a half hours it was just absolutely i don't know how i survived to be honest
0: but at the end if somebody said oh actually you know what we're going to need you to do a double stint you would just snap their arm off because it's so enjoyable right
1: you just do it i mean yeah i mean it wasn't so enjoyable that day because it was like soaking wet it's very I'll miserable. Of it, yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I love racing. Always want to do it, so I'm not going to complain too much.
0: No, and something I've noticed from watching your videos is that I would I would say that you're incredibly analytical when it comes to racing. Like some of your your go karting uh, videos, um, you really break down and analyze what you and other people are doing, and give people an insight into the strategy of um, of go karting um or or racing generally but obviously in the, the cases of the videos i've seen it was it was always um karting now how aware are you of that strategy whilst you're racing like is this something that you like to do afterwards and break down kind of what was going on and then share it with your viewers or is it something that's continually going through your mind as you're as you're racing
1: it kind of is and it isn't i think the best way to race is where you're not really thinking that much you're kind of in a natural state where you're just you're racing around, you're driving around, and you're not really thinking. Mm. Um, you might be thinking a little bit, of course, but for the most part, when you're just in that flow state, that's probably when you're driving at your best. Um, so for me, when I'm racing, I don't really think too much, but then it's afterwards when I like to go through this is what I was thinking at this point. Oh, this guy here, yeah, I'm going to try and engineer a move into the following corner by getting him off the line or something like that. Mm. Um, but I've always enjoyed being analytical and trying to describe things clearly uh, so that the viewer can 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 learn something
0: Mm. yeah it's interesting because obviously with 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 karting especially the the strategy almost comes down to two two brains under high tension trying to outmaneuver each other it's like a rapid game of chess under pressure do you think that that element of it carries across directly to sim racing i think that
1: is the biggest crossover between real racing and sim racing the uh sort of the mental aspect of it physically sim racing doesn't really feel anything like a car to me personally Mm. just doesn't feel like it at all it's more the um the mental aspect the decision making feeling pressure should i defend should i not defend can i get this guy to go narrow so i can get him on the exit um being consistent, not making a mistake after, let's say, a 20-minute race. Can I just do 20 minutes without making one mistake? Hitting my brake marker every time. It's, it's that kind of thing which I think really carries over. To me, that's pretty much exactly the same from sim to real.
0: Mm. And I suppose sim racing gives you the opportunity to like super fine-tune your, almost like your self-discipline to be able to achieve that level of consistency that, to replicate in the real world would cost hundreds of thousands of pounds.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you, you really don't get many chances or much seat time in the real world, and therefore when you do step in, you don't want to be messing about and getting it wrong. So it is a good preparation, I think, to do sim racing. Let's say you're doing 20 minute races in real life. Can you sit in a sim for 20 minutes, do Mm. 20 minutes and not make one mistake? if you can keep repeating that I think it will carry over and when you go into that real car you'll just feel much more settled and you'll just be able to carry out um the laps as you like
0: Mm. okay so let's um let's carry on the journey then so you said you did five or six years of owner car racing and you said it was just five or six years I know you still do bits now but what what happened to kind of end that era
1: yeah so that era came to an end really because of budget um you know my mum and dad aren't the richest people on the planet so um you know spending many thousands each year to try to compete um just wasn't really viable mm-hmm. i've got three other siblings as well so you know money wasn't always um forthcoming um we kind of transitioned into higher karting which at first i didn't really enjoy it was a bit slower but um i did many years of that and um I, I did enjoy it like I really found a lot of friends there um higher karting is there was more balance to it I found it more fair in a sense mm. um especially in the weighted series weighted categories like club 100 um I just felt like there was more balance whereas in owner driver you just know that someone could just be spending 100,000 pound a year just and they're just going to beat you there's not mm. much you can do about that um so higher karting was a was a nice transition I did that for many many years club 100 I did from like two thousand eight until about two thousand and nineteen or two thousand twenty, right, okay. so I did many years of that uh, type of karting.
0: And what would you what would you say like you you, you learnt the most from like the um, the Club One Hundred period? Because I've heard a lot about Club One Hundred. Um, uh, we had uh, we spoke to um, Scott Mansell, and he is like the biggest advocate of Club One Hundred. Like absolutely swears by it. It should be on every aspiring driver's roadmap. And he kept saying you'll learn so much from club 100 that you just can't get anywhere else but what to you what what was that
1: yeah a couple of things like one one thing i learned was like how to put a championship campaign together interesting rather than just turning up to each race and just thinking right i'm going to try and win this race i'm going to try and win this race sometimes settling for second and be like okay i'm going to play the long game here um maybe if i went for a move i could have got a penalty and i would have dropped there's been incidents where Let's say, for example, I remember one at Wilton Mill. I couldn't get over this for weeks. I was in third, and it was the final lap, and I went for a move on the outside, and I got run wide off of a curb through the Ashby hairpin, and I went down to about eighth. And it was the final lap. I couldn't do anything. Mm. And I thought, why, didn't I, why, why did I just... I could have just stayed in third. I would have had a definite third. Um, and it's just moments like that where you realize, okay, if I just played the long game, I would have got a better result, I would have been higher up in the championship. And another thing is just the sort of the very fine little games that you get on the track. Um, just things like, to be fair, when I was racing at the beginning, I used to always sort of think everyone raced in an absolutely fair way all the time, and everything was <laughs> just nice and rosy. But then you realize, actually, people were engaging on in lots of little tricks to s- sort of slightly get ahead. Just things like... Um, on the grid let's say you're on pole position you sort of just break so the guy behind you hits you and then you just get a, you get a bit of a jump start And it's just a little things like that mm. little these little tricks or when someone tries to overtake you you sort of just slightly turn into them so that your pods rub and they can't get past you certain situations you can just do these little tricks and the stewards can't really see it and then i was on the receiving end of lots of these little things and i was like oh okay i get it now right you can mm. do these little these little tricks and you can actually just get a slight advantage by doing them.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because racing, even though you said, you know, club 100 feels fairer. The interesting thing about racing across all disciplines, sim racing, real world racing, karting, GT3s, Formula One is that the, the rules have never been totally nailed down. I don't think. And even if they have been, they haven't been, uh, applied in the same way by each individual driver. And so you're kind of, you know, to take it back to the the chess game, you're kind of playing chess, but with two different sets of pieces, depending on who the driver is that you're, you're racing against, which track you're at, which stewards are watching when, or how much technology is available to assess all this stuff. So you have to kind of play the game on multiple levels at once whilst you're in the car racing and you're thinking about, okay, well, if I'm in third and this person's actually in fourth i can you know it's not worth a a move around the outside here because it's this driver versus that that's a huge amount to process whilst you're racing it is a lot
1: there's so many factors that go in and like i was saying my approach was a bit more naive in the beginning where you kind of just assume well that's the white line therefore i cannot Mm. go past it it's like well what if the stewards aren't looking then you can like i know that sounds really bad yeah but there's so many situations where like other everyone just runs wide on the corner. No one gets a penalty. So you think, okay, so you can run wide. You can go beyond the track limits. It just depends how and when and who there's so many factors. And you kind of just have to work that out on the day and just gauge what you can and mm. can't get away with. Um, it sounds like cheating. It sounds like you're trying to break the rules, but really, I think, like you say, it's, it's not a black and white, it's kind of a mm. gray area that it's just very open to interpretation.
0: And and here's a question: Is it part of the sport? It, like, would would if it was possible to have a totally perfect, fair, stewarded AI? Blah 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 blah. Like, if that was possible, do you think it would be better? I think it's it's hard to say. It's really hard
1: to say. I I think I'd prefer it. I would like if everything was just like regulated properly, like absolutely, so you know exactly. Mm. what the limit is and therefore like the best driver will win. So I wouldn't mind that, but it is inherent to motorsport, even in Formula One. That's probably mm. where it happens the most. Yeah. Um that yeah, you're just trying to bend the rules as much as possible in your favour and not in your opponent's favour.
0: It, it it kind of almost adds to the charm, doesn't it? It
1: does. I, I, I've always found that aspect of motorsport like fascinating. The mm. idea of um not I don't consider it cheating if, if, you, if it is a rule that can be slightly bent in your favor. Mm-hmm. Like, and if, if the stewards kind of deem it fine, then it is fine at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Because um, this is something that you get in YouTube videos where you cut a corner or you run wide, you extend a corner, for example, and people say, oh, oh sorry, yeah, you you're cheating there. But on that day, maybe in the driver's briefing, they said, oh, sorry, yeah, you can actually do that. Mm -hmm. so it just depends you know you you really just have to gauge it on the day it's different every time and it can change from race to race
0: i I think it kind of adds to the character of the sport as well because when you're watching racing it's visors down you're you're looking at cars and if it's a spec series you're looking at the same cars just different like liveries right and so you don't it's difficult to know the drivers and not many series have done a good job other than formula one i would say of uh, and formula two i'd say of getting know behind the visor for viewers and so you are just watching cars trying to get in front of one another but the saving grace i think has always been the charm of the sport and that's well sadly the danger is i don't think there's any denying that people have there's a certain allure to motorsport because it's dangerous um but also because of the character that's created by track and siri combinations so you know, something like, you know, we raced at, um, I don't know, I, 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 hate, I hate listening to myself back when I talk about Enduro car because it's the only series I've done, but it just seems so <laughs> tiny compared to everything else. But I remember when we raced at, at Donington, it was really strict and it looks like a racetrack, right? And it just felt very official and everyone was behaving and it was just all about a good qualifying and clean overtakes and the, the stewards were on it, right? So Donington to me had this character. Then when we went to Cadwell, it was totally, totally different. It's so, so narrow that from the first couple of laps, half the cars on the grid have got two wheels on the grass because there's nowhere else to go. And they were really strict in the briefing about track limits. And I personally know that I probably got about 20 track limits in my two-hour stint and got absolutely no warnings whatsoever. And so for me, going back to Cadwell, it has this totally different character. They're like characters within a world that you race in. And obviously the cars themselves have characters in terms of the way that they handle so it it, it there's almost a part of me that thinks it would there it would be a shame if it was overly regulated but i think that's probably quite a controversial opinion
1: yeah i mean it's it's really hard to know how that would be but i do agree that um the sort of the variance is kind of part of the soul of the sport you could say about the um, challenge yeah it's the, it's part of the challenge you just kind of you have to gauge it on the day like are these stewards going to pick up every mm. track limit are they you know can i run wide on that corner but not that one it's just up to you to kind of process all of these things and these are all these factors that you have to kind of uh, work out as a driver
0: mm. okay so where did youtube come into all this so at what point point? and perhaps the most interesting question i like to ask is before you created the YouTube account, I you probably have one to watch stuff, but before you created like your, you, you decide I'm going to make an account, I'm going to start streaming. What was the motivation behind it? Like, why did you first buy that webcam to start making videos?
1: Yeah, so my channel started in May 2011. And the reason why I started was really because I was having lots of really good races online. And I kind of felt ashamed that I couldn't watch them back. Mm. It's almost like I didn't even do it for anyone else. I kind of just thought, I'm just going to upload it so that even I could just watch it back. I'm not really expecting anyone else to watch it. Because at that time, there wasn't really anyone doing much racing game content. Mm. Uh, 2011 was a very different time on YouTube, I can tell you. It was was very different.
0: And you were essentially using YouTube as your own personal hard drive. (laughs) Using (laughs) it as cloud storage.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I I bought the Hopog HD PVR. So this was kind of like the El Gato before El Gato. Um, it was very popular back then. Um, just recording lots of races, primarily on Forza four and, Dirt uh, three, um, doing a couple of guides from now and then, um, I, I've always felt like being helpful with guides has always been a sort of a part of the channel as well. Um, so that's when YouTube really started for me, 2011. I didn't really do it very seriously for five years, I'd say. 2011 to about 2016 it was just like i upload every now and then when i feel like it not mm. taking it that seriously it's just for fun really and then it kind of progressed from about 2016 onwards where i thought i could actually do this a bit more seriously mm. try to put a bit more effort in upload a bit more frequently and just see where it goes
0: and just to dive into those early years that those first kind of four or five years now when people create YouTube channels nowadays that one of the things that I think people find to be the most important thing is the creation of a community that goes alongside a YouTube channel I know the term community is bandied around all the time now but you don't see YouTube channels with more than 100 with with more than 100 subscribers that don't tend to have a discord channel assigned to a discord server where they can talk about their videos and stuff it seems to be it kind of goes hand in hand if you have a YouTube channel it's like hey join the community get involved with this that and the other blah 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 blah, blah." but back then we didn't have discord we had forum sites and I uh, and I you know the community as a term wasn't thrown around so wildly so in those first four or five years did you have any ambitions to kind of somehow connect with the people that you were that were watching your videos in any greater way or did that have did that come later on?
1: To be honest, I didn't really think about it a huge amount at the beginning, um, like the community, the, mm-hmm. the subscribers. I was kind of just seeing the number go up slightly over time and just thinking, okay, there's people commenting. It's really nice that they're they're supporting the channel and they're enjoying the content. That mm-hmm. came first and foremost that, wow, well, okay, people are enjoying racing game content. That's good. And it kind of um, directed me where to go in terms of, okay, lots of people like that type of video. We can do more of that, maybe less of that game. People didn't really like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really buy into the whole concept or I didn't really put too much time into thinking about the community. Um, that's definitely something that's come in more recent years, let's say from about 2016 onwards when I started trying to really take it a bit more seriously.
0: Mm. Okay, so in 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 those first four or five years, what was your day-to-day like what what did you do for for work or study or or what what were you doing outside of of racing
1: yeah so i suppose we can go back a slight a bit here because in 2010 i went to university to study motorsport engineering at hertfordshire university i stayed there for a year and a half and i dropped out it was just something that i i thought i'd wanted to go into when you're that age you kind of just get told yeah go to uni Mm. and you kind of just do it like I, did, I didn't really know what I was doing. I had no idea what I wanted, no idea what to do. So you kind of just go along with the crowd. I'm going to go to uni. I'm going to do that, whatever. Um, and I kind of realized that I just didn't really like studying um, in that in a sort of a boring classroom setting. Mm. Learn this, learn this. I, I, mm. I, I couldn't really do that. So that's what put me off. And I kind of just left. I left the uh, university after a year and a half. And, um, I was just doing very basic, uh, minimum wage warehouse work. Um, just like poorly paid, no skill required. Really? Um, I, I was doing that from 2010, 2011, all the way through until about 2018 is when I actually left, um, so quite a lot of years of sort of not very, um, well-paying, not very, um, not not a job that really required much intellect or much skill to be honest
0: Hmm. interesting and do, and do you think that do you think in a way that maybe helped free up a bit of mental capacity to dive deeper into youtube and motorsports
1: yes um and that was a conscious decision by me because i kind of realized that in that kind of job it doesn't like if You're i'm honest it, it didn't really matter if i did half the work i did yesterday i can just get away with it it's fine Mm -hmm. no one actually really cares so i thought you know what i'm kind of sick of this job i'm gonna just not really put too much effort in i'm gonna save my effort for when i get home um so i was working like nine to six i'll get home then i'll play but by then it was probably about fours or six we're talking Mm -hmm. so 2015 2016 2017 uh, i love quite that a your life and, like,
0: milestones go with like the game number like four to four and then it was about fours of six when i did that
1: <laughs> yeah i always t- i always like think back at the the time frames of stuff um i'm always like gauging that in my mind um so yeah it was it was just a case of um pumping lots of content out in my free time which i didn't have a lot of um just doing the best i can just to really even if it just supplemented my income from, from the job, then that was something I never really thought it would go full time until quite close to when I actually did go full time. Um, Mm. yeah.
0: Interesting. That's really interesting. Actually. There's so many stories of, of, of people who do it as a passion outside of their, their day job. And at some point they have to make that decision of like, right, do I carry on down the safe route or, do I jump into something I'm genuinely passionate about? I, and actually, I was going to kind of glaze over this, but it's probably worth, like, I just want to highlight it. You, you said something interesting earlier when you said you went to university and you followed the crowd. You did the sport engineering Right. And, and, and I didn't go to university either. I I was just I, I was going to study. I signed up to study law. That was what my family wanted me to do. That's what I was going to go and do. I was that was my destiny to go and study law. And then I remember Googling law. I mean, oh, my God, <laughs> this, this is so dull. So I had this dramatic uh, day where I just left school and went and ended up joining the Navy. Um, and then that was it. I just went and did that. That that was purely because I didn't know what else to do. But you your your university choice was quite clearly motivated through passion so it it doesn't feel like you were following the crowd just you were going because everyone else was going it sounded to me like there was a there was a there was a direction in mind that never left you whilst you were in the in the warehouse job the way the way through uni
1: yeah the the way that i processed that now that whole time was kind of i didn't know if i should get a job or an apprenticeship or go to uni um i knew that i wanted to do something to do with racing and motorsport So that's kind of how that happened. I'll go to university because that's what you're meant to do now, I guess. Mm. And there's only one thing I can do. That's motorsport. Um, But then I kind of realized, you know what, um, when I was there, I just really didn't enjoy the theory of it all. I I just wanted to be the driver of the car. I didn't really Mm. care so much about the physics behind it. Um, More, I really cared more about, can I get in a car? Can I drive it quickly? Can I drive it quicker than all the other people? That's all I care about, and um, that's why I enjoyed the university karting championship and doing stuff like that. But um, sitting in a lecture hall learning about the physics of whatever it is about the engine, then yeah. you know, I just 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 couldn't really care less.
0: So there is another perfect direct. Uh, link to the the Gran Turismo film where there's a bit in it where Jan Mardenborough, I think it's his mum, which was Jerry Halliwell, which freaked me out a little bit. I wasn't excited. I hadn't seen that ahead of time. And when she came off the screen, I was like, what? This, I wasn't ready for that. Um, I think she says something about go to university and study motorsport engineering. And he's like, they won't let you drive the cars. So I'm not interested. It's funny how there's all the way through this, there's these very direct links uh, along this journey.
1: Yeah, that was another one of those similarities that I was just looking at. I thought, wow, yeah, I did exactly the same thing. Just, it was clear what my passion was, and it, it was clear mm. what it wasn't. Um, and I suppose this is a lesson to anyone who's sort of at that age now where you're thinking about, you know, what do I do now? I've, I'm leaving school. I have no, no clue. Um, let's just say there's more options out there than just doing what everyone's doing. It's very easy. Let's say everyone in your class are going to uni very easy just to go oh, okay i'm going to uni because i kind of want to fit in um but just take the time to kind of have a look at other options and don't be afraid to follow them because people will say why are you doing that come on what mm. you're doing like this is the better thing to do um sometimes you just got to do what's right for you
0: i think if you don't do something you enjoy you're not going to go in any meaningful direction is what i've like, what i've learned so you go full-time on YouTube. What was the trigger for that?
1: Yeah, so at the end of 2017, December, 2017, I remember having a very good month financially from YouTube. I earned more from that month than I did at my job, um, about three times more. So I thought, wow, okay, that's really good. I know it's December and December's always better. Mm. Um, so January and February weren't as high. Um, But I came back to my job in January and I said to my manager, I want to cut down my hours. I cut down about 30 or 40% of my hours, knowing that that extra time I could reinvest back into YouTube. Mm -hmm. So it was like a time investment. So now that I've got more time, I can earn more from it. And it only took six more months. So in June 2018, I felt like I was in a comfortable enough position financially. I was earning about the same from YouTube as I was from my job that I could take that big plunge it was a huge decision because i was always one that was to play it safe in life and not really mm. sort of just take the big risk now i'm much more um now now i take much more risk but back then i was just playing everything very safe um, and i suppose one trigger that really helped me just after i went full time in june was in september 2018 i made a video called forza 7 shameful rammers <laughs> and it's my second most viewed video on the channel now it's got five million views and that video just took off actually it might have been four to six sorry but it took off it went absolutely crazy and from then on like financially i was always okay from that point onwards uh first few months after going full-time were a bit sketchy mm-hmm. like oh god have i made the right decision i don't know um but from that point onwards september 2018 is like okay i'm safe now i've made the right decision we can just push on and keep growing this YouTube channel.
0: And how, um, how active were you during that period um, in terms of like self-development? So obviously nowadays, everybody knows if you wanna be a YouTuber, there's actually quite a lot of study to do. And uh, and, and some people will debate, actually it's more about personality than it is about algorithm. Other people say, actually your personality and your, and, and your hashtags don't matter. It's all about the thumbnail. Like there's all this, there's all these theories, there's a lot to learn. Were you somebody who was kind of very consciously trying to learn the craft or did you just do what you enjoyed?
1: Both. Um, but I've always been someone that's sort of analyzed uh, what works and what doesn't work. Mm. So I'm constantly looking at other channels, um, not just sim racing, just broadly on YouTube just to see, okay, this type of personality works for this, this works for that. Uh, if you say this in the first 30 seconds, like it helps or it doesn't help so i'm always sort of studying and just always constantly honing my craft on youtube youtube is one of those things that you can never like fully learn because it's always changing mm. youtube now is different than it was 3 years ago compared to 5 or 10 years ago yeah. so it's never the same so you're co- you're always going to be learning but i was definitely conscious of um trying to improve um uh my own channel and just improve my commentary, improve my racing, improve my thumbnails, improve everything across the board.
0: So sim racing and non-sim racing, which channels would you say guided or inspired you the most?
1: It's really hard to say. Um, I don't know if this is like arrogant to say, but I kind of just like always focus on my own channel in, in that sense and just thought, I'm just going to improve my own channel. Uh, there are channels I love to watch, but I don't know if they've necessarily like um, inspired my own content. It's just like, mm. I've enjoyed watching them. Um, but there's bits you take from sort of every channel out there, just like one little thing yep. here, one little thing there. Um, even Do you just have any channels
0: that... that you go to kind of regularly? Do you have any like home favourites?
1: There's a couple. Um, there's one called Stora. There's a they're a bunch of like parkour artists from the UK. That's they cool. have um, a very fun style of editing and a, a good camaraderie. Mm. Um, the way that they interact with each other is really good. There's a guy called Bo- uh, Bald and Bankrupt. guy just travels um, mainly Eastern Europe and just like very interesting vlogs, uh, interesting locations and with interesting people. Um, to be honest, I don't really watch a lot of sim racing. Uh, yeah, or I, racing I got content. That. That's um, interesting. Sim racing content, I just don't watch it. Um, only to sort of pay attention to what's going on roughly. So I know mm. what, what people are doing, but um, I watch a lot of racing like Formula One and um, mm. WEC, uh, GT3 racing, um, like Pike's Peak World Records or, you know, things like that um, I'll watch. But a lot of sim racing, I don't feel like it's actually that interesting to me, mm. <laughs> as weird as that is yeah. to say. Um, I don't really, uh, I don't really watch sim racing at all.
0: I have a theory that sim racers don't watch sim racing. I have a, a theory that it's more it's gamers and motorsport fans or people who are interested in getting into sim racing who watch sim racing rather than if you have a wheel and pedals because it's so immersive. I've always had this theory that sim racing is all about participation, not about viewership, because if you have a wheel and pedals, if I had the choice of spending an hour racing or watching someone else race, I'm obviously going to go and race myself.
1: I agree. I think there's there's definitely truth to that. I think one of the main things that sim racers do want from a sim racing channel is just guidance. Um, mm. How do I get quicker? Yeah. Um, so that's a comment I get a lot. I watch your video in order to improve around this track, around that, in that car. Um, so that is something I've definitely, um, a, a trend I've definitely seen. But yeah, I I, I agree. I don't think um, uh, if if you're sim racing a lot, you probably don't watch it a lot.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree too. Um, okay, so now let's talk about the explosion of Super GT, right? So the the total difference now from 2015, 16, 17 probably looks totally different to 2022, 2023. We, I, I don't know if you remember, but we met in 2020 at the, the Sim Racing Expo. Um, you had just been rolling around in the mud fighting with, I think it was Thomas Yakamai's son, founder of Fanatec and then we started chatting over a beer and in my head that was not because of this moment but that was probably the moment where you were on the steepest kind of trajectory towards what your your channel and your own brand is now
1: I agree I think the last few years have been a a crazy couple of years to be honest when I think back at all the events and things I've been to it has been really good um I would say it kind of stems from 2017 in april that year i went to the forza racing championship event it was the first event i've got invited to ever Mm. because of my youtube channel okay like this is a positive beginning i'm going to an event now they've clearly seen my channel so that's good that they've recognized me and like progressively since that year i've been invited to like more and more events over the years um but like you say yeah 2020 i think it's 2021 sim racing expo at the nurburgring um oh yes it was 2021 you're right 2021 yeah post, uh, post yeah, yeah So if anyone who, who wants to know why i was wrestling thomas jackamaya's son I, I don't even know why. why 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 was i wrestling him we would like i uh, got him in a headlock and i had him rolling down the hill i was like punching him in the head in front of thomas the ceo of fanatech yeah uh, that was, was all quite the, funny to be honest that was uh, a pretty
0: crazy house party i it, it, i can i was uh i was talking to uh, alessio from AK esports at the time and uh, Ar- Aris from Kunos, and we saw you. There was like a, it was like a play fight. It was just a, it was like a joke. But then neither of you wanted to be the last. You know, you know, you both wanted to be the last one in the play fight. So the play fight has actually escalated to you were rolling down the hill. And it was quite wet. <laughs> it was very funny it to was, watch.
1: Yeah, it was. It was quite funny <laughs> to be honest. Uh, it's always got to have a laugh. But that event um, at the Sim Racing Expo at the Nurburgring managed to get a couple of laps in Fanatex. Uh, they have an M2 CS race car. And that was kind of my first like really cool experience of a race car around like the, the coolest track. Um so I knew that things are going in the right direction. And since then I've been invited to been lucky enough to be invited to so many um cool things like that, such as you know, driving the Veloce Extreme E car. And, you know, that's cool. quite a prestigious yeah. thing to be able to even drive that for five minutes was mm. pretty cool. And then, you know, this year we mean um, doing the Bilstein race project at the Nürburgring. So it's been quite a crazy ride. I can't even remember all of the things that have happened in the last sort of two, three, four years mm. because there have been so many. Um, but yeah, the the trajectory has been very positive.
0: Yeah, I mean, this podcast would be about three hours long if we went through absolutely everything and all the projects that you've been able to do and all the kind of brand ambassadorships that you've been able to do. Like the One of the ones that stood out to me when I was just doing a bit of research for this project was the Radical um project that you did tell us a bit about that
1: yeah so last year i was trying to really uh get into a lot more car racing um so last year was my first year of car racing um i was meant to be racing at the nurburgring last year it kind of didn't happen it kind of fell through um but in order to race in nurburgring you need an international racing license so in order to do that i did a bunch of different races uh master mx5s and uh vw fun cup and, um, later in the edit of radical race. Um, so I've got a manager who tries to like find different brands that I could race for and be part of their brand. And we settled on radical in the sr one at Donington, um, which was the first sort of foray into a downforce car, mm. which was really interesting to get used to because you've got this sort of invisible grip that you kind of have to believe in You kind of have to turn <laughs> into the corner too quickly. Mm. but then just believe that it will grip and it will. And so it's kind of a really hard thing to grasp when you're in a car and it's real and you're going hundred mile an hour or, mm. or quicker that you're not going to crash, that you, the car will grip. So that was something um, to get used to. I did have quite a big crash. Um, a car was quite erratic in front of me and I um, got on the power a bit too, too quickly. car did a 180, and the next car around smashed head on into me. Uh, I mean, I don't even want to know the speed, but mm. a very scare, uh, scary, visceral, and real moment. Luckily, I came away unscathed. The car didn't. Um, but surprisingly, they said no to me racing again uh, after <laughs> smashing up their car.
0: But but again, not to keep coming back to this, but so I love the bit in the film where they're constantly saying, you got your FIA license. <laughs> like they kept shouting that at, uh, at Jan Mardenborough. So obviously uh there was a it is not really a spoiler because it was it was kind of common knowledge but there is a crash whilst he's going through that process and it's kind of obviously not to the same extreme um but you you had that same experience now i imagine if i can assume that um when you were sim racing and you had these visions of one day racing you must have thought well when i race i wonder how i'll react differently knowing that i could crash and a crash means so much more so again i've just made that assumption was that something that you were conscious of and after the crash how did you reflect on it
1: i think it is something you think about you know what is i think more about crashes in terms of the financial or reputational penalty rather than mm. physical harm like i don't really think oh no like this is going to hurt I, I could crash and i it, i could get seriously hurt here or worse you know you could get killed on a racetrack it can happen um I think more of like, this could cost a lot of money. This could be bad uh, for my brand. People won't want to take me on as a racing driver. Um, so it's something I think about, but probably not in the way you'd expect.
0: Yeah. And so, and, you know, after after you had your crash, obviously, I know you didn't race with them again, but you've done other races. The first time you get back in the car, is it is it is it on your mind? Or is it just, you're back to, okay, I just don't want to... The, second financial and reputational penalty?
1: To be honest, I didn't really think about it. You just get back on with it. Um, I had quite a big crash in 2021, karting at Wilton Mill. Um, went around the first corner, there's a wet patch, hit it, straight into the wall, kind of fell out of the cart. Um, I was back out in the next race, didn't really think about it. Um, you kind of just have to get on with it. Mm. If you start second-guessing yourself in that situation and start thinking about it too much, like is, is it's it's really going to hold you back a lot in motorsport you need 100 percent of your attention positively looking forward and trying to uh, drive that car or cart mm. as quickly as possible if you have anything holding you back it's, it's just going to slow you down and you just you always need that edge you need the positive uh outlook at all times
0: mm. and, and actually it's interesting isn't it because i carting crashes i think are always a lot more dramatic than uh real world uh crashes from a human point of view when you see something like a GT3 car crash the drama is in the fact that there's just bits flying off of it and you're just dust and, and and glass everywhere right but the person inside is incredibly well protected in in you know most cases whereas karting uh, I do a bit of um, like championship like arrive and drive karting and I've seen a couple of accidents and when you see a body flail it's it's very very like I had a guy who crashed in front of me I hit the brakes and I was just shocked because the guy landed on his feet and ran towards the but but his body was in a very unnatural position when he was in the air but then when he landed he was on his feet I was like how have you gone from sitting in the car to standing on the track but with no with a very strange transition it was like you remember the old uh, flash games you play at school with like the little stick men and you can make them fight and stuff it was kind of like that
1: yeah, it's always very dramatic um like i don't know if you can no it's not behind me here but uh, my girlfriend even made a poster about the crash um and she went through the video frame by frame to find the worst looking part of the crash because i'm oh, sort of nice. half hanging out and it looked <laughs> like one of those weird things you see outside petrol stations where they kind of mm. move in the air like that um but yeah always quite dramatic i've seen some pretty big ones on tiktok where people I don't even know what they're doing. They're kind of smashing into the wall, even quite slow, and they just flip over. And some of the most dramatic stuff you see in carts, yeah.
0: Mm. Our, uh, our our uh, UI designer, Gridfinder Matt, who is a huge fan of yours, I actually asked him if he had any questions for you, and he said that he was um, blushing and couldn't think of any. But he's, he's yeah, he's done that. But just before we did the uh, uh, the motor mouth uh, race, he showed me a little clip of your of your crash, just to you know like pep me up. I think I don't really know why he showed me it, but yeah, it was. Um, it was, it was quite something to, to watch. And it kind of makes you realize kind of how the further up you go, the, the, that, that, it's almost like a diagram that crosses over where the, the higher up the motorsport ladder you go, the more financial and, motor, and, and reputational damage you do, but maybe the less bodily harm you, you do. And so you, you, the fear changes. It swaps from pain to kind of you know, reputation and, and wallet pain.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think um, certainly since jumping into cars, I—I I mean, touch wood—but I feel a lot safer, and I know that if I have a crash, it's going to cost a lot of money. Mm. Um, but I probably won't experience as much pain. Having said that, I did have quite an innocuous crash last year in Mazdas, and uh, someone hit me in the rear quarter, and I spun, but it sort of yanked the wheel, and I had sort of a wrist injury for like seven or eight months, pretty bad. Um, so that was kind of a bit of a warning that you know like even like a small looking crash can actually be quite bad
0: yeah okay so moving on from 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 crashes what's next for you
1: good question um so for me it encompasses two things really one is sort of the youtube side and i feel like on youtube this year i've been very hit and miss i've been a bit quiet at times um largely with the lack of time because of sorting out real racing Um, But I really want to tackle YouTube a bit better. I feel like um, my channel is in a good place. I've got a really good following, a good community who uh, really do support me. Um, But I feel like I could do better. I feel like if I look at it in a pure perspective point of view, I feel like my performance on YouTube this year is maybe a five or six out of ten. I really think I could upload better, upload more, stream more. That's something I want to do as well. Um, stream on the channel because i haven't streamed for over a year um so youtube i feel like i can do a lot better um and and just content in general so let's say instagram twitter tiktok mm. and just like vertical content that kind of thing and then the other side of that is um the real racing driving so this year and next uh with the bill stein racing team we're racing at the nurberg ring aiming to do the 24 hours of nurberg ring which is you know a very prestigious but very yeah, dangerous course. and intimidating race so that is a very cool thing to look forward to in the very near future in the real in the real world beyond that it would be great to be a full-time racing driver uh, whether or not that's realistic or possible i suppose we'll see but um i suppose i'm tackling tackling this with sort of a different avenue you know i'm not the absolute richest person in the world who can just pay for real world racing mm. as they wish but with the following i think that is a very good way to attract sponsors to be able to say, I have this amount of followers. I have X amount of impressions or whatever it is. I can get your product in front of this many people. Um, and I think that's an alternative way to get into motorsport. Mm. Um, so that's an avenue I'm looking at, uh, trying to explore, see what we can achieve in five years. Who knows? I mean, I, I think the dream for me would be kind of a, uh, a a regular or even a paid GT3 driver, whether or not that's Far fetched? I don't really know, but as long as I'm trending towards that direction, then I'm happy.
0: I don't think it's far fetched. I don't think it's far fetched at all. Um, it, interesting. Something you, that I've noticed is there's a lot of um, content creators, streamers, YouTubers who aim to transition, I guess, from sim racing to real racing. Um, and we also have discussed during this uh, this podcast about how important uh, community is to a a youtube channel right or even to a personal brand um how happy do you think your community is to transition with you from the content that they joined for to the content that that you want to uh go and give a uh, have a go at
1: i don't think everyone's going to support that um i think YouTube is largely these days personality driven, and therefore most people kind of subscribe mm, because they like who you are as a person, the way you speak. Um, you know, I could analyze paint drying and people would probably listen to it because of the way I speak, perhaps. But um, That's a
0: bold claim. Maybe it is. <laughs> I'd like I, I ex- to see it. <laughs> I
1: have, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do that video next. But, um, <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, it's not a given that, you know, everyone's just going to simply support it. But it's not something I necessarily want to do uh, fully transition everything to real racing. Mm. I always feel like um, I actually genuinely enjoy sort of just the commentary over gaming content. Um, I really feel like there's something I enjoy there i I really enjoy it. I think uh, lots of people like to listen to it, and as long as people want to watch that kind of content, then I think I'll always be making it um. So it's hard to say, um, yes, there's going to be more real, real life racing content in the future, but I don't think I'm going to like move fully away from sim racing. It's always something that I'm going to enjoy and enjoy making videos of as well.
0: I mean, how could you not, right? <laughs> um, Steve, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us um, on this podcast. Um, we had a load of questions come in for you. I'm just going to pick just two, if that's okay. You can pick um, as
1: many as you like. I've, I've, got, I've got plenty of time.
0: Great. Okay. So um, Strovich, um, who is a regular question asker ask you on the podcast, he says, when you made the change from sim racing to real world racing, which game helped you prepare the most? Or which game felt the closest for you comparatively? So I guess there's two, there's two very different questions there, actually. And, I'm, I, and the first one, I'm really interested in, which games, if any, did you use to prepare for an actual race or, or track event?
1: to be honest um i really separate the two so i let's say i've got a real real life race coming up i don't actually practice on the sim i know i said earlier we said earlier about the way that you can practice uh sort of the mental aspect of um of real life racing on a sim by like Mm. being consistent making the right decisions that kind of thing so that's something that's always ongoing but let's say I've got a race at Donington in a radical, so I didn't practice on a sim for that. I didn't go, right, I'm gonna go on a set of course or racing and practice radicals around that track. I, I just don't feel like there's enough merit. I just don't feel like it will help me that much. I feel like I just need to get in the car and feel what it feels like and just turn it on when it matters.
0: Okay, so let me let me spin the question then, because on the face of it, that sounds like the exact opposite of the Jan Marderbrough story, but I guess it's not what you, I think what I'm hearing is that you're saying that you wouldn't necessarily do specific event-based practice for an event, but that doesn't mean to say that you don't think you'd be better at that track in that car because of the sim racing you've done previously.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I I still feel like there's merit in sim racing, which will boost your ability in a real car. So, you know, my main sim is Gran Turismo. Mm. So that's the one that I feel like when I race on Gran Turismo, I'm making the right decisions as much as possible, defending when I really need to defend, letting someone go when I, when I think they should go, um, trying to attack at the right corner, trying to get someone off of offline to get them at a later corner, trying to preserve my tires so I get I'm stronger later in the race. There's all these factors that do carry over and that's sort of ongoing and never ending. Mm. um so the biggest game that's helped me is gran turismo as weird as that is because it's not the most detailed i know it's called the real racing simulator but um for me it's the one that i've played the most and i feel like it really simplifies the whole process of like here's a race trying to do it as quickly as possible trying to beat all the other people um and i feel like i can just jump in and do as many races mm. quite quickly
0: so would it be fair to say that you see the merit in sim racing? Um, to improve your racing but not necessarily the driving
1: yeah i feel like um for me it's all about decision making um that really improves in from sim racing i think Mm. um but just sort of the the real visceral feel of what it's like to drive a car for me i have a massive disconnect between sim and real Mm. um this could be different between different people of course but i think for me because i've been karting for so many years i'm so used to the real mm-hmm. feel and therefore when i play a sim to me it just it feels it feels really different
0: that's really interesting i um again to bang on about my, my my one enduro car season i found it incredibly useful but i think that's because i hadn't really done the tracks that we were racing so we were doing Cadwell park and, and donnington and snetterton that they're, they're not those three in particular aren't, and we did Donington, um, Donington, but uh, so I kind of knew that one. But those three, you don't see them too often. They don't come up in the the playlists so much. And so, for me, it was really useful. We uh, we had a, a mod um, uh, for the for the four K that Chris Hay tuned for us to make the gear ratios the same. And then we did a test day, and we went out and checked that we were changing gear at the right time, the braking markers were the right time, the apexes were the right time. So then we could go around, and I could learn. The track for my first ever race I'm like okay i need to break at this marker to turn in here i know that i'm expecting to change gear here and i think for me when when you when you get to a track for the first time to race there's a lot outside of the racing that can be quite overwhelming you know the driver brief getting like getting to the track signing on which wristband do you need have you got your helmet the, the right sticker that you need are you going to go to scrutineering at the right time like there's a lot outside of the racing that's actually quite overwhelming and quite a lot to process. So being able to, once all of that was going on, I got into the car for the first time and my head was a bit frazzled because we are making sure that everything was, that we were in the right place at the right time at the right car, blah, 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 blah. Being able to go out on track and at least know the lines, the braking points, the turning points, when I was going to get back on the throttle, which gears I was going to be in, was a huge help to just fast track the process of, getting to a stage on the track where I was, you know, chasing tenths, not hundreds, uh, sorry, that's not really seconds. F-
1: yeah, I think that's really fair. I mean, for me, it's not something I've done in the past, but as I hopefully race more in the real world and there's going to be tracks I haven't been to, like Snetterton, I've never never raced there and it's not been in many sims, mm. it probably would be a good idea to to jump in and just do a couple of sessions just to really, even just, like you say, fast track the process of Okay, right. I know the rough uh, geometry of the track, so I can kind of just. I'm not as overwhelmed when I jump in because, like you say, um, this is something that's very different between sim and real. In sim, you kind of just press start, go. It's all easy. But when you go go to a real race, maybe like the seat inc- isn't comfortable, but they're like, right, just go. Mm.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Go, go, go. You uh, or even my very first race, they went right. Go to Park Ferme. The, pardon me. Like, I have no idea where it is, and they, <laughs> I'm just say. driving through the paddock aimlessly. It's just <laughs> lots Ooh, of these hey, little things that, yeah, you just don't quite get in the sim. That uh, in real world in the real world is a little bit more uh, mm. intimidating. You're not quite sure of everything, and there's just a lot to think about. There's lots of things that can go wrong and play on your mind when yeah. you're mm. on the track.
0: Yeah, when I when I first rolled up to the the grid for Donington for for qualifying, you go around the the old the the, uh, the GP track on the the after the the hairpin. That's where you you start. Before you go out onto the track to do to start qualifying, and the slowest driver in we're in a team of four, the slowest driver always qualifies first, right? So you go out and I warm the tires up basically and bring it in for the next person. But when we went out, we hadn't done the we hadn't charged the uh the fire extinguisher hadn't been charged or plugged in there was a light not showing and the guy was like you need to do the, the, the thing with the, the extinguisher with the light and i was like the, the what with the what so then in the middle of the pack right we're like three wide all queuing up ready, ready to go i had to do this very awkward three-point turn and you can't see backwards in a race car like you, you're not doing the whole like arm over the back seat looking back with one hand on the wheel like that's just not how it works so i was trying to do this very awkward three-point turn without hitting any of the cars to then go back the wrong way down the track back through park verme back to the garage our radio wasn't working and i turned up and i was just like waving my arms everyone was like what the hell's going on why are you here qualifying starting i was like oh my god you learn so much like the first time you go to a track but it's kind of a funny story afterwards but there's a lot of stress at the time so qualifying going out onto those first three laps at least i was all right I'm just gonna it's gonna complete these laps that's essentially my goal here is to complete these laps
1: yeah there's there's a lot more complication than at first it seems just a lot of procedure and a lot of it isn't explained to you you kind of just like in the complete dark about it and you're mm. out there on the track and like i say you just need 100 percent of your focus to be on the driving and not on oh god why is this button not working i need to turn the trash control off what's the process again i can't remember so just all these things there's lots of things that can go wrong
0: yeah now strategy second the second part of his question i think we've you kind of answered but he he says which game felt the closest comparatively? Now, I think you said that none of them feel comparative, but maybe if I can twist the question slightly, are there any parts or any elements of any game? And I'm not talking necessarily about the the physics or the force feedback, but are there are any parts of, of of any game which you feel does resonate with the experience of being on the track?
1: I think iRacing is good. Like the procedure of like signing up to the race, doing the qualifying, there's a bit of a build-up. The races are a bit longer, and there's there's more of an expectation to race properly. Um, so I think iRacing has always done a good job of that. And I think iRacing is probably for me in terms of like the actual feeling of the handling of a car is is typically very good. Um, for me, Gran Turismo is actually not too bad in terms of like the weightiness of the car. I've always felt like iRacing is really light feeling. Mm. So like I'm dance, I'm sort of like driving a hovercraft and i don't really feel gravity in the car mm. and i actually always felt like gra- uh, gran turismo does a very good job of like simulating the gravity like i'm pushing the car into the into the ground um so there's sort of two answers there i racing for the sort of the procedure and the actual handling feel on mm. the, on the, on the hands but then also gran turismo in terms of like the the raw feeling of like strong force feedback and how heavy the car feels
0: yeah i've always i, I totally agree with you um, about your point to do with the um, the process of i racing, that's something that I've always loved about iRacing. racing. And again, I've, I find I, I used to love doing the um, the Formula V's and the Skip Barbers, but they are a nightmare to be able to just do a couple of laps of that coming off the track it takes a little while. But what I do like about it is the structure where you have race times that you have to that you have to hit, and you go into a practice server, and you're practicing with the people that you're going to race with. Potentially, I know they get split into lobbies. Uh, and then you have a countdown. So when you when you know that you've got you know you've got uh, four attempts, I think it is a minimum of four attempts to be able to, uh, to the points will count uh, uh, on your license. Um, and you're like, right, okay, there's a race at nine o'clock. It's quarter past eight. Okay, I'm going to do some practice now and do half an hour of practice. I'm going to come out, get some water, and then I'm going to join the the official practice lobby because that one t- sends me into the race. Mm-hmm. And now I'm practicing with people that are going to be on the track with me. And then it's like, okay, your race is about to start. So you pull over on the track and you hit the button and then you go and do your qualifying and then you come back and there's a bit more time where you're waiting. And it, it is a long time. It's not like Gran Turismo where it's just bang, bang, bang. You straight through it's, There's There's waiting involved. And then they make you sit on the grid for a, a minute, at least mm. now, because all of the races have a rating system. So there is something on the line every single race and because you've been through this process where you're practicing and the whole time you're practicing you're you're doing it specifically for this race I get nervous I get nervous in iRacing where I'm sat on the grid and I've you know I'm typically middle of the pack and I'll be like oh my god right middle of the pack this is a nightmare I'm always in the middle of the pack and then you're looking at the lights and the lights go out and you're constantly looking left and right and you do get like genuine emotion when you're driving on iRacing and it's because of the format and because of the the timings i think have been really well thought through and i'm sure there's well i know there's technical reasons why they have to leave all these gaps in there but in in terms of building that experience i think it's fantastic
1: i agree i think um one of the things that you can't quite replicate is of course the the fact that if you crash your car you know you don't have to pay for it in the game Mm. in real life you do so how do they replace that? I suppose with the safety rating, the fact that, you know, you want to preserve your ratings, your reputation, you don't want to be crashing. And if you've been practicing and doing all the qualifying and then to crash on lap one, you don't want to be doing that because you've, been, you've invested so much time already. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's a good reason to race properly, race with respect, give each other room. You know, having said that, people do, of course, lunge on racing from time to time. But mm. in general, people do race properly.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree, and I think it's going to be one of those ones where, although, and I'm, let's not talk about the pricing structure because with that has come up in many an episode. Like you, you, you have to pay, you have to pay for it, and then you have to essentially rent it, and then you have to buy your cars. But then if you stop renting it, you lose all your cars. It's like a you're a cruel, she's a cruel mistress. Is I racing? You're kind of like a you're like a prisoner within this within this world that you absolutely love. It's like Stockholm syndrome. You love your captor. It's a, yeah, it's a nightmare. Anyway, um, Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. It's been a really fascinating conversation. Um, So, so thank you. Um, If our listeners don't already know, uh, where can they find you, follow you online? Yeah, on, on YouTube, uh,
1: Super GT, on uh, Instagram, Steve Alvarez Brown.
0: Great. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Well, there you go. That was Steve Alvarez Brown. Uh, Aka Super GT, what a guy! What a nice guy to tr- to talk to. He's very um very open, very honest, um, and I really enjoyed listening to his insights into sim racing, and especially our Gran Turismo chat uh, at the beginning. Obviously, the film has just come out. Uh, me and the Grid team went and, and watched it all together last night. Um, it was a good film. I don't think there were too many spoilers in the episode. Um, thank God, don't sue um but yeah thanks again steve um i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed the um bit where he was talking about him karting as a kid and how there were a lot of people who were kind of you know in the same way as they were uh, to jan Mardenbro, kind of suggesting that perhaps racing or content creating etc wasn't gonna uh, amount to anything and yet um here he is so um thanks again steve really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the sim sundays podcast um as always well, as always, as of last episode, this is our second episode sponsored by Ascetech. So Aztec thank you very much for your uh, sponsorship. And we'll see you again next week for another episode.